Change places with Xi Jinping. Name me one. Name me one. I want to ask you about that because the picture you painted last night, unemployment, uh, record low, uh, the growth, the economy, what is it, inflation is coming down, incomes are rising, and yet when you, when you mention the polls, when you look at the polls, CBS poll, 64% of Americans think the economy is in bad shape. There's an NBC poll, 71% think the country's on the wrong track? Why the disconnect? Because the, no, the polls don't matter anymore. You got to make, what, 40, 50 calls and on a cell phone to get someone to answer a poll? Even the pollsters, you, you talk to them, ask them what they think about this certain. Look. So you don't think it's your policy? Oh, I know the policy. By the way, if you ask the same thing, do they support the uh, rebuilding infrastructure America? Overwhelmingly, they support Ask anybody. One of the things Republicans say is a priority for them is investigating your family, your son, Hunter, your brother, Jim. They talk about. Again and again, we saw the speech of a small number of abusive users drive away countless others. Unrestricted free speech, paradoxically, results in less speech, not more. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's the 10th of February, year of our Lord, 2023. That intro is the president mushmousing, but we'll get to that in a second, how awesome he was. That's his interview with CBS, since he's not going to stay with tradition and go to the actual network that's doing the Super Bowl. And that's Noel Roth, the reason why I am suspended and so many others are for just answering is transgender and mental illness is because Noel Roth, a gay guy, wrote algorithms that are against free speech, but he just said it. More free speech is not good. Less is better. Yeah. So to wrap a few things up in a nice little bow that I missed from last show, his free and fair election plan is just setting up for 2024. That's all it is. They're going to try to take everything down again. And somehow that's okay. Media is cool with it. I forgot to put that in the last show. So one thing we didn't play was the rebuttal. And this line from Sarah Huckabee Sanders, it is the greatest thing. If you remember the rebuttals, you have Rubio literally trying to drink water, looking like a wahoo. You have people you never heard of. Nobody remembers it. But Sarah Huckabee Sanders, you're going to remember this line which is the truest words ever spoken in a state of reunion. Whether Joe Biden believes this madness or is simply too weak to resist it, his administration has been completely hijacked by the radical left. 
The dividing line in America is no longer between right or left. The choice is between normal or crazy. Normal or crazy. Normal or crazy. That's a hundred percent true. And to show you that we're really in a terrible time, especially for media. And I meant to set this up sooner, but I didn't. Fact-checking Biden. This is the New York Times. No outright falsehoods, but at times omitted crucial content or exaggerated the facts. Now, going to play this. This is from 1995. He uses this every speech because Tim's or the guy from Florida, which I always remember his name, the bald dude, came up with a plan to sunset or means test Medicare, Social Security. One guy. We're going to omit facts that Biden was for it too. Now, what I'm told is, and I may be wrong, but I don't think I am. I'm told the blue chip analysis, that is taking all the blue chip companies who've analyzed what the growth rate is going to be, the consensus is it's going to be about 2.9% per year. Well, I'll tell you what, if we agree to their numbers, I can balance your budget and not cut Medicare and not hurt education and not make the changes that I don't want to make, and I can do it in five years. Non activist media were putting this out. He's been talking about it for years. Anybody who's a politician, anybody with a common sense. When I was a kid, I said these words by the time I was in my 20s. I'll never get Social Security. There was no way the system can work. There's too many people. It's a great idea back there a long time ago, but it ain't going to work now because they ain't got enough people working to pay for everybody. The boomers of loan have destroyed it. The The Politicians have used the money for other things. I mean, get the fuck out of here. But they didn't fact check him. We would stop State of the Unions and speeches to fact check Trump. But not this guy. How about this? All over the world... They're fact-checking that we blew up the Nord Stream. This is all overseas newspapers are covering it because we know we did it. He said he was going to do it. The State Department said it, and now we just know inquisitive media. We're not looking for that. Second New Jersey council member killed. No media is covering it. Black lady. She was going to run for Senate. Dead. Just dead. I I just I look at sometimes and go, we cannot be this bad. Can we? Can we be this bad? We are. This is a blue check professor. 
This is chilling. These people screaming at the President of the United States have no sense of the importance of their positions or the meaning of democracy. I am horrified that Republicans are booing him. Have you no respect for the office? Do you remember this? Bless you and God bless America. Thank you very much. She did. Wait. A stunning moment here at the uh, end of the president's speech. Nancy Pelosi tearing up what appeared to be a copy of the president's speech. Wow. And this on the heels of a moment earlier where she seemed to offer her hand for a handshake and he either didn't see it, he didn't shake her hand in any event. She didn't use the usual flourish in introducing him. It, it is just, my high honor yeah. and privilege. So when we said that there was a partisan rancor inside this room, we were we were telling you uh, there certainly is. In fact, two men afterwards, Nancy tore up the speech in two. And what does this really say about the State of the Union? You know, what does it really say about the State of the Union? You know, she talked. She's playing hardball like he does. They, you know, when they go low, we go lower. That's what. That's the only thing. That's the only thing that works with these criminals and fascists who are running the country right now. Sorry, but that's what works. You didn't really yeah, need to have sure. a fact checker. All you had to do was watch Nancy's face, because every yeah. time he lied, she went either like this or like this or, or like that, yeah. and you saw that he was. Every time he opened his mouth, practically he was lying. Well, and that, that's why she said I, she was. She commented right after uh, the State of the Union address. You know, when she was asked why did you rip it up, she said because it was just filled with lies, filled with yeah. mistruths. And I, I think that was sort of her gut reaction uh, to do that. And what, what are we talking about? Rather than talking about, let's say, his speech, we're talking about uh, Nancy about ripping it up. So I'm not sure she was throwing shade. I don't think this was about that. I don't think Nancy Pelosi thinks of Twitter and trending. I think she sat there and listened to uh, a pile of lies. And the only way to communicate that visually was to rip up the speech, which was useless because it was full of lies. And she's fed up. Um, I, I'm not sure what else you can do to point out that this man in front of her, the president of the United States, was not only using the State of the Union as a campaign rally and to play to his base, but was lying to the American people. And oh, that was morning, Joe. This is what they said now. Uh, Very different tones last night between okay, wait, President wait, wait, Biden's wait, 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 mostly wait, optimistic looking State of the Can't Union. Anybody play this game? <laughs> Why is my former party no. so stupid? They, they, they like, like he fed it to them and they the the booing yeah. the, the the call like we said yesterday on the show Republicans. He wants you to yell. He wants you to shout. As my grandma bring a from Dalton, Georgia would say, he wants you to act like you were raised in a barn. Good job, you did all of those things. No, Willie, seriously, I swear to God, I said this a couple weeks ago, I really do think <laughs> that there is a plant inside the RNC. <laughs> 
And it, it, it is a Democrat that was planted in there somewhere in like 2013, 2014, with the sole purpose of making Republicans the dumbest political oh. party that's ever existed. Democrats are so nearsighted. They're just nearsighted, and the media thinks we're all morons. That's bad. MTG, that's good. The way they covered it is just beautiful. It is beautiful hypocrisy. Taunts, groans, and walkouts. Trump stokes division with cascade of lies. Nancy Pelosi rips up Trump's speech and other top moments from the 2020 State of the Union Address. Notice the difference in tone and framing. A cascade of lies. Our government-funded... Oh, I, I got to cover this. What the fuck is that? What the fuck is that? I know it's everywhere, but what the fuck is that? A conservative vice president and president mates did that? Oh, my God, that's all we talk about. NPR's five takeaways. The speech had to make Democrats more comfortable with 2024 for Biden. Oh, you really? He combined whole words. Biden tried to bait the right, and it worked. Oh, he made them yell. Okay. Populism and nationalism are in. Oh, my God in heaven. He just gave a Trump speech. That's what you'd say if a Republican did it. In fact, when Trump said some things, well, you just copying Obama. There wasn't much about China or Ukraine. Yeah, we just had a balloon overfly the country. Not a big deal. Biden got both parties to stand on police reform and continue to walk a tightrope on police and criminal justice. He's the best ever. Nobody in the media covered that they removed their American flags and put on Planned Parenthood made abortion fucking pins with a heart. Do you think if the NRA gave uh, like a American flag pin with a gun on it, we'd have something? I I think we would. The new uh, CNN contributor, I get it, the knee-jerk reaction is the love or hate POTUS speech based on your politics. Without a doubt, Biden absolutely crushed the GOP dumb yellers masterfully. And everybody just tweeted him back, Pelosi. I mean, the simple fact that they said he didn't lie once, that is the most insane thing I've ever seen. There has not been one president do a State of the Union where he didn't lie. Ever. That's what they do. And then nobody wants to talk about the simple fact that nobody watched the fucking thing. Against his own numbers. And I know it's you can't read that. This is paltry numbers. Biden lost more than 35% of his 2022 State of the Union viewership for his second address. Trump's second State of the Union drew 46.8 million viewers, or twice as many in 2019. Fox News led an all-networks broadcast light with 4.6 million viewers because only 23 million people watched that shit show. 23 
but you, you can't even remotely hear it. In these sound bites that are just, here are the worst of the worst, best ever. It's okay, he lied. Best ever. Think of the children, CNN said. And then just a roundup of our pathetic activist media. You heard Marjorie Taylor Greene yell, uh, liar, when it came to Medicare and Social Security. But then this was a very interesting scene we watched unfold. Uh, you know, fascinating because McCarthy earlier today publicly told his members, we have a code of ethics in the House, we have a way to behave, made it clear, respect for the president. He didn't want to see that display. And that display, you saw Marjorie Taylor Greene at times, and it wasn't just her, it was a pretty large group of Republicans acting, heckling the president of the United States during a State of the Union, not what McCarthy wanted to see. And from Biden himself, we've seen a hard-edged Biden at times talking about MAGA Republicans and dangerous extremists. That language was gone from this speech. He did poke the Republicans. He made some, you know, some, I mean, the stuff he said about Social Security was over the top. There's nobody seriously talking about sunsetting Social Security in the Republican Party. But he did it with a smile. It was a jovial Joe Biden, and he provoked that behavior uh, from the Republicans. But I can he was feisty, he was combative, at times even responsive to the crowd, his second State of the Union address. It's fair to say one thing that I'm going to remember from this night is it's new House Speaker Kevin McCarthy's insistence that House Republicans behave themselves and respect the presidency, if not the president. That went unheeded. The president was heckled quite often and quite rudely. And I think that at the end of the day, that might be the thing that you remember, what he oh, ad-libbed I, I in don't those think, I don't think there's any doubt that that was the magic moment. I don't know that you could say he baited or provoked them, but he certainly was very happy when he got the response he got from Republicans. What we saw today, as Chris talked about, was the energy, upbeat, optimistic, but you also saw Joe Biden, the politician, at his best. When he spoke at the beginning of the evening about January 6th, and he said, our democracy faced the greatest threat since the Civil War, Kevin McCarthy sat there, and he did not yeah, I've heard uh, President Biden, going back to his 36 years in the U.S. Senate, deliver a lot of speeches over the years. I've covered him for many, many years. I've gotten to know him a bit. Uh, I think this was the best speech I have ever heard him deliver. He was passionate. It was extremely well written. He yeah. Mr. Gideon, uh, you know, wonder what lesson it teaches to our children about how to respond to points of opinion they disagree with. I always think in those terms, uh, thanks so much. With us now, CNN political commentator S.E. Cup and Natasha Alford, vice president of digital content and senior correspondent for The Grio. Good to have you both on. We won't shout at each other. I promise that. Uh, I wonder, S.E. Cup, you're conservative. Uh, you, you and I, us together, have watched a lot of State of the Union speeches, good moments and bad. That was a bad moment. It, it, was, uh, it, it was just ugly, right? And, and again, as Jessica said, some of this is just the nature of the way our political discourse is today. But there's a lot of shadow going, going at a sitting president that even the Republican speaker was uncomfortable with. Was it a good political look for Republicans? 
I think it was inside their base, right? I mean, I think this Republican Party, especially under Trump, really conditioned voters to want a politics of revenge. The president spoke about what he believes are his achievements from his first two years in office, including some encouraging signs for the economy and proposed what he called a blueprint to rebuild America. He pleaded for bipartisanship, but parts of his speech were met with heckling from some members of the GOP. This may have been the rowdiest State of the Union in history. President Biden was literally yelled at repeatedly by some of his opponents. In other ways, though, this felt like a soft launch of his reelection bid, laying out his past accomplishments and describing what he wants to do with the rest of this term. President Biden's second State of the Union address started with a show of bipartisanship, but the night quickly took a turn. I want to get into some of the, the topics of this address, but also the tone, because there were public moments of disagreement we're not used to seeing at a State of the Union. Uh, the president was called a liar a, a couple times. Uh, there were some outbursts about whether he was to blame for the fentanyl crisis. Uh, there were definite uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show vibes. He laid yes. out very nicely what your administration has accomplished and, yes. and did it in great detail. The thing is, though, the latest polls show Americans still think the economic policies are making their lives worse, that they don't feel better off. What can you do to get the message across? We, we know the laundry list of all the things that have accomplished, but yet for some reason, for many people, the message isn't translating. Joe Biden supporters said he had a great night, that he was on, he was firing on all cylinders. Want to know how you're feeling. It is... It's just hard to fathom that this is what we have for media now. It's just, I mean, moments like this are when it just, it's like a spotlight of how pathetic they are. I understood under Obama, the guy, he was a salesman. He could sell you a ketchup popsicle and you're wearing white gloves. The guy could speak. But Biden's speech was a Trump speech. He slurred words. He lied over and over. But there's no fact-checking, and it's always that way. He could literally go out and say, like I said in the last po podcast, Mr. Poopy Pants is my name, and pooping in my pants is my game. And these motherfuckers would say, yippers, that's the best speech I've ever heard. Ever heard. So it leads into the Twitter sphere and the hearing. Only one network really covered it. That was Fox. So here's soundbite one. Um, bottom line is that the FBI had the Biden crime family laptop for a year. They knew it was leaking. They knew it would hurt the Biden campaign. So the FBI used its relationship with Twitter to suppress criminal evidence being revealed about Joe Biden one month before the 2020 elections. You, ladies and gentlemen, interfered with the United States of America 2020 presidential election, knowingly and willingly. That's the bad news. It's going to get worse because this is the investigation part. Later comes the arrest part. Tonight, House Republicans are taking a microscope to the Hunter Biden scandal. The Oversight Committee grilling former Twitter executives today about their censorship of the story 
in the New York Post, which many in the GOP contended could have directly affected the 2020 election. The most pointed questions, though, aimed at the U.S. government influence into the censorship decisions. Correspondent David Spont reports tonight from the Justice Department. Good evening, David. Brett, good evening to you. A fiery hearing lasting the majority of the day. Democrats argue there's nothing there, but Republicans believe something more sinister went on over the past few years involving Twitter and the FBI. And this was the chance for Republicans to make the case to the public. We don't know where the FBI ends and Twitter begins. Emotions running high. We're talking about Hunter Biden's half-fake laptop story. I mean, this is an embarrassment. Front and center, this New York Post cover from October 2020, weeks before the election. We return not to focus on advancing this robust agenda of progress, but instead to take up an authentically trivial pursuit, all based on the obsessive victimology of right-wing politics in America. Former Twitter executives in the hot seat to answer allegations about suppressing that report. In hindsight, Twitter should have reinstated the Post account immediately. I'll be the first to admit that we didn't always get it right. Also testifying, James Baker, the former Twitter deputy general counsel. Before that, he was the top lawyer at the FBI when the agency launched Crossfire Hurricane, the investigation into potential ties between Donald Trump and Russia. I did not act unlawfully or otherwise inappropriately in any manner with respect to Hunter Biden's laptop. Republicans say the relationship between Twitter and the FBI was far too cozy. Both agencies. I'm just going to leave this slide up. 5,000 document case of censorship by big tech on conservatives. But we don't have a problem. Glenn Greenwald, this panel of ex-senior Twitter executives could easily be put on any MSNBC panel. Rolling Stone, Twitter kept entire database of Republican requests to censor posts. That's their lead. Mark Takano, disappointed that extremists were allowed to testify at the hearing. Members of Congress who demean witnesses they disagree with should be ashamed of themselves, asserting that Ginny Gentles or any other parent in these extremists is unacceptable. Parents and students aren't facing hypothetical issues. They're facing real burdens in education. People. Furthermore, Mark Takano, if you think they're emphasizing the harms of widespread learning loss, mental health issues on K-12 and the academic decline in our public schools are problematic narratives, you might want to reconsider your job. Representative Byron Donald paints former Twitter execs in quite a corner. You saw it on the, the thing. N- Mace making a name for herself. Melanie Sandsbury from New Mexico. Why is this committee devoting a day-long hearing to a political conspiracy theory? Michael Schellenberg dug into the facts. Congressional hearings. Twitter executives, including former FBI lawyer Jim Baker, who served at Twitter deputy counsel, are about to testify. And he went through to fucking just dick slap him. Background. And he just regurged all the Twitter files throwing, saying that everything they're saying is a lie. AOC went after libs of TikTok for stochastic terrorism. And while this was happening, 
Big article, platformer. Elon Musk fires a top Twitter engineer over his declining view counts. Will Carlisle, if Twitter was a high street store, liberals would be boycotting it. From Ben Collins. There's times he's just awake late at night and says all sorts of things that don't make sense, one employee said. And then he'll come into us and be like, this one person says they can't do this one thing on the platform. And then we have to run around chasing some outlier case for that one person. Akeem Jeffries says investigating Biden isn't going well. House Dems are working hard on jobs and economy. Extreme mega Republicans are supposed to investigate the president's family. It's not going well for them. Oliver Darcy. Steve Krakauer. I try not to give oxygen to CNN media newsletter, which is now run by JV Squad and has lost any semblance of relevance. But this framing of the Hunter Biden Twitter story is outrageous gaslighting. It shows just how far anti-speech activists have fallen. From his newsletter... This is the only conclusion that could be, uh, Republicans are living in a reality distortion field. It's the only conclusion we can draw from Wednesday's hearing at Capitol Hill while GOP lawmakers continue to push a factually unsupported narrative about the federal government securing concluding with Twitter. Despite no real evidence to support their weighty and consequential claim, and that's when I stopped. They paid you $3 million. You did everything they said. Here is the media, CNN, MSNBC covered it, and then all the gaslighting being done by Democrats on this. And I play this, and I know it's painful. Why are they stopping the truth? That's what would be said if it was conservatives doing it. Why are you blocking the truth from the American people? Okay, but Scott, this has been the subject of so many conversations that I've had with Republicans and Trump officials that there was this conspiracy. You know, James Comer, who's the House Oversight Chair that we saw there, was saying the other day that the FBI and and Twitter were colluding on this. And when, you know, we said there's no evidence of that, there's no evidence that there's any directive they got on the Hunter Biden story. And now we see it was actually Trump people who were also asking to remove tweets because of what it was saying about the president of the United States. So does this end this whole saga or what is your prediction the only conspiracy here is a conspiracy of dunces that is our government right now is reflected in this hearing this this communicates to every chinese official send more balloons these people are idiots uh first off it begins from a place of idiocy a private company has no fidelity to the first amendment it's like it's as if are you going to have ted cruz on later today oh no you're a cent you're censoring the government the notion that the fbi the only real the only real targeted assertion that they really need to defend was that they coordinated with the fbi they did not coordinate with the fbi as a matter of fact if there's any censoring going on if there's any bias it's toward letting the president organize an insurrection on Yeah. um, First, let me just say, if this was about making a a compelling TV show for the American people, Chuck Grassley and Ron Johnson are not TV you want to see. I just got to point that out at the top. Um, If those if that's your lead, 
if that's what you're going with as your very first play, you're in big trouble. And of course, the interesting thing is if you compare the two committees, you had one that was full of Trump appointees and Republicans as witnesses. Here, you have a couple of senators um, who are as you know politicians who won't even take questions. So as I said today on my Twitter feed, come for the clown show, Grassley and Johnson and Gabbard, and stay for the truth, Jamie Raskin. And that's, yeah. I think, what the congressman pointed out. The strength of this committee is going to be the Democrats' ability to talk about the truth. And one truth that was not mentioned today that I saw was that there, I'm not saying DOJ's never made mistakes. I think Comey made a big mistake when he, outside of all protocol, did a press hit on Hillary Clinton in the 11th hour of a presidential campaign. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. I want to thank our witnesses. And I, I just want to just start off also by just um, apologizing to our witnesses, particularly Mr. Roth, for just the homophobic rant and comments that were recently just made uh, from the gentle lady from Georgia. That was really shameful. And I know that we're here to talk about serious issues and we're having conversations about grinder and, uh, and other issues, which is not really what this hearing is about. So apologize to, our, uh, to our, all of our witnesses. For the committee, how the release of the so-called Twitter files has affected your personal safety. Thank you for the question, Congresswoman. The Twitter files, I would note first and foremost, didn't just affect me, but affected much more junior employees at Twitter. Employees as far away as Manila in the Philippines were doxxed, had their families threatened, and experienced harm equal to or, or greater than what I've experienced. But concurrent with the Twitter files, Elon Musk also made the decision to share a defamatory allegation that I support or condone pedophilia. And this lie led directly to a wave of homophobic and anti-Semitic threats and harassment against me, of which Twitter has removed vanishingly little. And following the Daily Mail's decision to publish where I live, ultimately I had to leave my home and sell it. Those are the consequences for this type of online harassment and speech. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Roth, within uh, just mere minutes or hours after the New York Post published its story on the Hunter Biden laptop, uh, at 8.51 a.m., you sent a message to a team, part of your team, I assume, and you said, it isn't clearly violative of our hacked materials policy, referring to the story, nor is it clearly in violation of anything else. Do you remember sending that message? Thank you for the question, Congressman. I don't recall that message specifically, but that does sound like my judgment on that day, yes. Okay, so that was early on in the day. And yet, uh, shortly thereafter, Kaylee McEnany, White House press secretary, uh, her, her account was locked. Um, so an inquiry was made the next day by a person named Carolyn Strom. You know Carolyn Strom? Yes, sir, I do. Yeah, and Carolyn Strom asked, what's going on here? And somebody named Elaine Ong Soto said, the user was bounced by site integrity for violating our hacked materials policy. Do you remember that incident? Yes, sir, I do. And somebody named Trenton Kennedy said, I'm struggling to understand the policy basis for make, marking this as unsafe. And I think the best explainability argument, now that may be a technical term for you, but for me it looks like uh, we're, we're trying to create a narrative here to cover our butt. 
The best explainability argument for this externally will be that we are waiting to understand if this story is the result of hacked materials. Do you remember Mr. Kennedy's communication? Yes, I do. Yeah. And so then we get into uh, a whole series of things uh, written by Mr. Baker going back and forth. And he says on that same day, now at 926, which is about a half an hour after the, your, your uh, statement that you don't think that anything has been violated here, he says, I have seen some reliable cybersecurity folks question the authenticity of the emails in another way. And then you seem to uh, later, but by the way, that is almost inconceivable. I mean, it just seems inconceivable um, that that would have happened so quickly that he would, he would have that. And then you sent out something uh, right after that that said, the key factor informing our approach is consensus from experts monitoring election security and disinformation that this looks a lot like a hack and leak that learned, uh, that learned from the 2016 WikiLeaks approach. I'm wondering if you can name for me today any of the experts that seem to have a consensus at 10, 12 a.m. on the morning of October 14th that you put out saying that we're going to rely on some, uh, some group of experts. Who were they? Thank you for the question. Twitter did not give me access to any of my documents or emails to prepare for this hearing, and so unfortunately, I can't give you a direct answer. Were there, Mr. Roth, were, were there experts? Were there, were there people that you consulted that were cybersecurity experts between uh, 9 a.m. and 10:15 a.m. on that day? My recollection is that we were following discussions about this incident as they unfolded on Twitter. So, cybersecurity experts were tweeting about this incident and sharing their perspectives. And that informed some of Twitter's judgment here. But I want to emphasize, as I said in my statement, I didn't think that the evidence or those perspectives warranted removal. And I advocated against taking that action. I, I understand. Let's, let's look at one other, one other document. Um, our teams made the determination that the materials fall under our hacked materials policy. It's my understanding from reports and internal sources that Normally, a hacked material policy would require a, a, a government official or law enforcement determination that there had actually been a hacked uh, account before that hacked policy were to be in place or imposed. Is that accurate? No, sir, it's not. The so, oh. so the policy was, did not require that there be any kind of official finding by, the government, by a government source? No, there were a number of different types of evidence that we considered under the policy. Certainly, government attribution would be a powerful one, but we you, also looked. So you weren't looking. That wasn't determinative, is what we're saying. In that instance, we did not have any specific information from okay. any government source. No. I'm going to read something that um, applies to this and several other things from from your from the uh, the Twitter stack uh, that you guys had. This might be an unpopular opinion, but one of one-off ad hoc decisions like this that don't appear rooted in policy are, in my humble opinion, a slippery slope and reflect an alternatively equal, equally dictatorial problem. Quite frankly, that's what the essence of all four of your testimony, I, I realize you're trying to fight against it, but you exercised. You exercised an amazing amount of clout and power over the entire American electorate by even holding them hostage for 24 hours, reversing your policy, and then holding, and then they're like, "Well, we, 
we want to go back with the originals. That's 24 hours or two weeks that you imposed your will on the American electorate. I'll yield back, Mr. Chairman. I think it's a very slippery slope. Mr. Roth, Ms. Gaddy, Mr. Baker, any evidence that Joe Biden's ever done that? Certainly none that I'm aware of, no. I don't recall anything like that. I'm sorry, the, the, the President Biden did what, sir? Has Joe Biden ever called Twitter, to your knowledge, or his White House at his behest to take down content or urge you to take down content? I don't know the answer to that question, sir. Well, I, I'm going to have to conclude at least from three of the four, you don't know. There's no evidence he's ever done that, but there's plenty of evidence Donald J. Trump tried to do that. And um, if we're going to have a hearing about the misuse of social media and the intrusion of government in the content on social media, we've got an environment-rich target, but it's not Joe Biden. Let's, uh, let's, I, I just want to start off um, right here at the top here. This isn't even my line of questioning, but I'd like to submit to the record a Washington Post article, now warning about Hunter Biden laptop disinformation, the guy who leaked it. Here's the deal. Before I even get into my questions, I think that the story here with the, New York, uh, with the Washington Post reporting is that what they're saying right here, when the New York Post first reported in October 2020 that it had obtained contents of a laptop computer allegedly owned by Joe Biden's son Hunter, there was an immediate roadblock faced by other news outlets that hoped to corroborate reporting, as many did. The newspaper wasn't sharing what it obtained. New York Post had this alleged information and was trying to publish it without any corroboration, without any backup information. They were trying to publish it to Twitter. Twitter did not let them, and now they were upset. I believe that political operatives who sought to inject explosive disinformation with the Washington Post couldn't get away with it. And now they're livid, and they want the ability to do it again. They want the ability to inject this again. So they've dragged a social media platform here in Congress they're weaponizing the use of this committee so that they can do it again. A whole hearing about a 24-hour hiccup in a right-wing political operation. That is why we are here right now. And it is, it, it's just a, an abuse of public resources, an abuse of public time. We could be talking about health care. We could be talking about bringing down the cost of prescription drugs. We could be talking about abortion rights, civil rights, voting rights. But instead, we're talking about Hunter Biden's half-fake laptop story. November 18th, 2021, an FBI whistleblower discloses to Republicans on the House Judiciary that the FBI created a threat tag for parents voicing their concerns at school board meetings. April 26, 2022, another FBI whistleblower discloses that the FBI employees are being run out of the Bureau for attending conservative political events. May 11th, 2022, Another FBI whistleblower discloses that dozens of parents with the threat tag designation to their name are investigated by the FBI. This also happens to be the same whistleblower who said the FBI leadership, not the rank and file members, the FBI leadership is rotted at its core. His clearance has been revoked and he's been suspended. June 7th, 2022, another FBI whistleblower is retaliated against after giving feedback on an anonymous survey. July 27, 2022, 
another FBI whistleblower, discloses that agents are pressured to reclassify cases as domestic violent extremism cases to hit self-created performance metrics. September 14, 2022, an FBI whistleblower discloses that the FBI views the Betsy Ross flag as a terrorist symbol. September 19, 2022, another FBI whistleblower discloses that the Washington field office is del deliberately manipulating January 6 case files to make it appear that domestic violence extremism is on the rise. He's been suspended. November 8th, excuse me, November 4th, 2022, another FBI whistleblower discloses the FBI accepts private user information from Facebook without the user's consent, and information is from only the conservative side of the political spectrum. This is only a sampling. In my time in Congress, I have never seen anything like this. Dozens and dozens of whistleblowers, FBI agents coming to us talking about what's going on, the political nature at the Justice Department. Not Jim Jordan saying this, not Republicans, not conservatives, good, brave FBI agents who are willing to come forward and give us the truth. And this is just the FBI. Americans have concerns about the double standard at the Department of Justice. Americans have concerns about the disinformation governance board that the Department of Homeland Security tried to form. Americans have concerns about the ATF and what they're doing to the Second Amendment. And of course, they have concerns about the IRS and the thousands of new agents who are coming to that organization. And finally, there are concerns about what we've learned in the Twitter files, where big government and big tech colluded to shape and mold the narrative and to suppress information and censor Americans. Over the course of our work in this committee, we expect to hear from government officials and experts like we have here today. We expect to hear from Americans who've been targeted by their government. We expect to hear from people in the media. And we expect to hear from the FBI agents who have come forward as whistleblowers. We think many of them will sit for transcribed interviews as one did on Tuesday. And we believe several of them will come and testify in open hearings. And finally, we expect to bring forward legislation that will help protect the American people. Just garbage union humans. And once again, if you did that as a conservative, you're wasting America's taxpaying dollar. And the best part of this is, once again, you went four years of investigations, two impeachments on the most lame bullshit you've ever seen in your life. This is a real thing. Twitter, FBI, DHS, HHS have all colluded with social media to close down conservative accounts. They've used the federal government to jail people, call parents terrorists. Get the fuck out of here. So we're going to end on Jim Jordan. You're going to see a light affair because I want to break up the show and do something funny. So we're doing a lighter affair. And we'll then go straight into... Our woke section, you're going to see Matt Walsh. I heard this on his podcast and I just wanted to play it because I just think it's so fucking awesome to dick slap. This is a uh, Democrat in the House in Tennessee. And, uh, you know, it's, it's what these people are. They're just woke don't have to make sense. You just have to do what they say. That's all it's really about. It is now. I mean, you want to talk about transitioning? Forget Leah Thomas. Look at the Disney product. 
Gone are the days when their movies and cartoons actually taught children life lessons. I mean, remember that wooden peg-legged lion little bitch Pinocchio? <laughs> he taught children not to fib or you'll get eaten by a whale and die. <laughs> to be honest, I never understood what whales have to do with lying until I saw the view. <laughs> I don't get it. And remember that slutty little mermaid Ariel? <laughs> With clamshells for a bra and a mouthy little crab. Nobody told her drugstores have medicines for those. <laughs> but she taught a generation of young women that you can overcome a disability. I mean, uh, she was a cartoon mermaid. <laughs> I mean, that's a hard life. If she can't stand up, how can she make me a sandwich? A sexist would say. And then uh, there's the 101 Dalmatians. What lessons did you learn from that? Well, I learned that there are better puppies for your coats. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's kind of, they're kind of ugly when you think about it. Cinderella taught us that love comes not from your dress or your station in life, but from the shoes you're wearing. <laughs> and Bambi, Bambi taught us to always wear orange in the forest. <laughs> yeah, R.I.P. <laughs> and what about this beloved classic? <laughs> Come along now. Hey, sit the <laughs> down. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Hey, you guys want to do some coke? <laughs> I gotta think where we can find some. My dealer got shot last night, and I'm looking for a new supplier. Drugs are terrible. You shouldn't talk like that. Oh, don't be a bitch. Women love to complain about every little thing. Hey, that's it. Come here, you little fairy skank. Oh, Guys, snort this angel dust. It'll get you high. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. All right, see you, I'm gonna write a screenplay. Turn it up. Uh, thank you, Mr. Walsh. I found it interesting. One of our uh, um, people uh, testified today that they uh, had their gender affirming surgery at 16. And I know uh, you, in former comments, mentioned uh, this uh, on your blog. At about 16, you're an adult who's mature and can make decisions. Uh, you're that at 16. I don't care what anybody says. Even going so far as to say, you know, 16 people. Uh, when you're 16, you should be married and uh, and could be pregnant or should be pregnant. Um, so I'm curious if 16 is uh, a uh, an adult in your view. Uh, why does this bill have uh, the uh, minor de defined as 18? Uh, Mr. Well, that's, uh, yeah, that's that's a hit piece you took from Media Matters, uh, from something when I was a, a radio host. Uh, 13, 14 years ago, in my early 20s. Uh, it's also not an accurate reflection of what I actually said. Um, I was talking about uh, the fact that people tended to marry young historically, and that's all that that was about. Um, how does that relate to, the, to this subject? Just curious of your definition of, of if you feel like people are adults at 16, should. Well, uh, people are adults this... at 18. Uh, but actually, your, your brain is not fully developed until you're 25.
So we should be having a conversation about whether we should even be doing these surgeries to people at 18. But certainly before 18, it's, it's absurd. I mean, do you, do, you, do you think that a 16-year-old can meaningfully consent to having their body parts removed? Do, do you? No? This is one of those surveys that I don't know why we did the survey. I mean, it's clearly obvious. Most of this is done by... Let's be honest, it's, it's done by fucking women, white women who are very unhappy. So these stats make total sense. This is a short video about a white male privilege that is why women shouldn't vote. And that's why I put the slide up, because I don't understand. Uh, this this, this kind of shows... How woke fucks you up, man. This, it's the privilege bridge. What's that? It's a metaphor for explaining how some people have advantages and opportunities granted to them just because how they were born. Whoa, that's a lot to take in. I know. So let's begin. Here are two people trying to cross this stream. It's a raging rapid called the River of Dreams. Okay, so how did they get across? Good question. Let's start with Ross. Ross is a male and he's straight and wealthy. He's in his mid-40s and he's rather healthy. He's white and was born in a peaceful nation, so Ross gets to use teleportation. Yeah. Easy. Yup. Now let's take a look at Stevie. Stevie is a refugee. Born in a country that she had to flee. She doesn't speak English and she's not well off. So Stevie has to swim and now she's got a cough. But wait. I mean, that's not fair. How come Ross got a free ride there? Privilege. He was born with advantage. Unearned gifts that his life was granted. He might not even think about his inbuilt perks. But, but that's, that's just the way that privilege works. We are all stupider from this. It is literally the Billy Madison scene. And then we have CNN. We don't have Drake story hours. It's not a big deal. But then they do this segment on a Connecticut church that uses Drake story hour You push wokeness. Now, I think these slides are going to be fucked up because... It, no, it's perfect. That's a telegraph. Um, the telegraph believes now that Jesus is non-binary. See, they're just fucking evil garbage people. I mean, just a decade ago, if you did this, you'd get canceled. But the telegraph did it, and nobody even noticed. Right now, nearly a dozen states have proposed legislation that would either limit or ban drag show performances in front of children. Now, these efforts range from prohibiting minors to attending, from attending a drag event or show to requiring bars or restaurants that host them to register as sexually oriented businesses, even in some cases going so far as to propose charging parents who choose to bring their children to a drag story hour. In Tennessee, where the proposed legislation would prohibit performances on public property, when Republican state senator tells CNN the bill isn't anti-drag in his view, but pro-child, and likens it to laws that keep kids out of strip clubs. A Connecticut church recently hosted a drag bingo event. It was a fundraiser for an upcoming youth mission trip. The backlash shocked the pastor. 
I'm joined now by Reverend Todd Vetter from the First Congregational Church in Madison, Connecticut, and Jonathan Hamilt. He's executive director of Drag Queen Story Hour. While it is not our intention to make any kind of political statement, this event is certainly in keeping with our commitment to being an open and affirming church, to seek understanding in love, and not to join our voices to the chorus of fear that seems to animate so much of the negative response to this event. I, I do think that the overall um, uh, experience was extremely positive. Uh, it was an affirmation of who we are as a church, um, how we think about the commandment to love our neighbor, uh, and I think it, it uh, whatever lessons the, the community has taken away from this uh, has been, I think, positive. But I think it's been a great affirmation for us about That's who certain. we are and who we're called to be. I think it's so important that we bridge these communities. A lot of queer people um, have been hurt by um, by Christianity. So kind of bridging those gaps and bringing people back to spirituality and connecting these um, intersections is really important. So, and do you think, Jonathan, people actually understand what happens at some of the events? I mean, for people who've never been to a drag story hour, what is that event like? Yeah, I mean, drag story hour is exactly like it sounds. It's drag um, storytellers that read children's books in libraries or schools. Uh, we sing children's songs and we do uh, an arts and crafts activity. It's like any other story time, story hour you've been to, but maybe someone a little more fabulous who's reading. <laughs> Go after religion, and this this is Idaho. You, they're being told, don't tell people. Keep it hush hush. And they wonder why parents are pissed off. There's actually a slide from. Oh, this is all over Twitter too. That somehow they're not protecting him. I'm proof that I got a week suspension for, um, doing nothing. This is some bullshit, and I'll get to the, the story. This is from Chris Rufo. This is so important. Gender radicals claim top surgery on children cuts the suicide risk, which it doesn't. Once again, in a school, nobody has a problem about it. Then we have Libs of TikTok. It's another one of these story bombshell about um, St. Louis. St. Louis children, gender affirming care practices, full story. Here's a reminder of St. Louis children does to kids while knowing it's harmful. Puberty is an exciting and confusing time for teens and parents. Along with all the physical changes that happen during puberty, it is also a time of identity formation. It's pretty common for adolescents to try on different identities as they go through this period of time. Some parents will have to adapt to their child revealing more personal information to them, like the fact that they have a gender identity that does not match their assigned sex at birth. When babies are born, we label them as boy or girl based on the external genital anatomy we see. In truth, this is actually their biologic sex and does not always match their gender identity. People may identify as the opposite gender, somewhere in between, both genders, or no gender at all. Gender is separate from biological sex. Then our next one is literally AOC saying this during the Twitter in which she went after. Lives a TikTok. Want to replay it so we have it fresh on our mind. 
Ms. Navaroli, are you familiar with the account Libs of TikTok? I have heard of it from the news, yes. Um, Mr. Roth, are you familiar with this account? Yes, ma'am, I am. Are you aware from, that from August 11th to August 16th, that account posted false information about Boston Children's Hospital, claiming that they were providing hysterectomies to children? Okay, it's super, super easy, because all I have to do is play the video of that hospital. Are you ready? A hysterectomy itself is the removal of the uterus, the cervix, which is the opening of the uterus, and the fallopian tubes, which are attached to the sides of the uterus. Some gender-affirming hysterectomies will also include the removal of the ovaries, but that's technically a separate procedure called a bilateral oophorectomy. And not every gender-affirming hysterectomy includes that, and people who are getting gender-affirming hysterectomies do not have to have their ovaries removed. That's the hospital. Direct from their mouth. Here is another parent. I'm getting to a point. Here's another parent reading a book at a school board that made them so uncomfortable they tried to mute her again. Finally, I made myself very clearly say, we have to use a condom. With some embarrassment, he regained control of himself. He took a deep, shuddering breath and said, I have a cup in my wallet. Let's use two, just to be sure, I said. Okay, he said. But once he started to kiss me again, the taste and smell of him overwhelmed me, and I became frantic to get his clothes off, too. I felt hypnotized as if I were in a dream, and I kept thinking, this is Matt. He is mine now, mine at last. Okay, I think we get the point. Can you get to your statement? Yes, I can move on statement? to the next one. That's fine. Next book, How Sex Apps Work. Step one, you upload a tiny picture book? of yourself. What? What was, what was the first book? It's on record. Um, it is Girl in Translation, and it is mandatory reading for 10th grade honors. Step one, how sex apps work, different book. Upload a tiny picture of yourself to the app. The app works out your location, step two. Step three, the app tells you who is the nearest homosexuals are. Doesn't matter, don't focus on that. We don't, um, we don't provide that information to any student. Number four, you can chat to them, five, because they are near, it is easy to meet up with them. Page 160, if you are that horny and you want to do a sex meet, meet the trick in public place for a drink first. Number 173, page 173, doing the sex. A good handy is all about the wrist action. Rub the head of his C-O-C-K back and forth with your hand. Blowies, oral sex, it's popping another dude's peen into your okay. mouth. Can you move on to the next yes, one, please? Yes, I can. Milk and honey. He guts her with his fingers like he scraped the inside of a cantaloupe clean. I will smile, throw my head back, arch my body like a mountain, and you will split in half. Baby, lick me like your mouth was the gift of reading. Can you summarize, book. please? Or yes, be done. I can. Thank you. Fluently, vividly, don't you dare leave a single word untouched. I swear my ending will be so good, the last few words will come running into your mouth. And when you're done, take a seat, because it's and my you, turn you to make music now. with my knees pressed to the ground. This is... Um, the, in the Citizen's Guide to the U.S. Federal Law on Obscenity, Section 1466A in the Title 18, United States Code, makes it illegal for any person to knowingly produce, distribute, receive, or possess intent to transfer or distribute visual representations such as drawing cartoons or paintings that appear to depict minors engaging in sexually explicit content and are deemed obscene, which what is considered obscene can be determined by referring to the United States Department of Justice. These are all the books in multiple of your schools, and the kids get credit for reading them. And I lost sound by this Ben Shapiro. And then we're going to delve into an article. I want to set the table. This is some fucking wokester all pissed off. They forced somewhere in the lineage of fucking Harry Potter that Dumbledore was gay and she did it. But it's still the she's a turf and she's evil. And there's all these woke virtue signaling pictures all over the Internet.
All the things in culture, all the things in life must reflect the diktats of the woke left. It's the most authoritarian force in American life right now. And that is clearly true, particularly in the culture where they have the whip hand. And the simple fact of the matter is that the woke left occupies all of the slots in middle management that all the companies that decide exactly how culture is to be done. That is true whether we're talking about woke corporations in non-culture spaces or whether we are talking about culture itself. And that means that they are able to generate an outsized amount of attention and rage directed at particular people. People at the top of the companies, the very, very top of the companies, those people do answer to the bottom line. They would like to see shareholders increase their market. It really is not the people at the lowest rungs. Those people don't care. Those people want to go in every day, do their work, and go home to their families. It's the people in middle management. There's a fascinating paper out from Nikolai Foss at Copenhagen Business School and Peter Klein at Baylor University and the Norwegian School of Economics called Why Do Companies Go Woke? And what they find is that going woke is an emergent strategy that is largely shaped by middle managers rather than owners, top managers, or employees. They suggest that broader social and cultural trends tend to reinforce the process. In other words, if you're a middle manager, the best way for you to ensure your own future employment is to go woke. Because it means that if you get fired, then you get to yell at your former employer about how they are racist and terrible. If you go woke, it is a protection mechanism. It's an HR problem if you go woke, in other words. If you're a middle manager and you say, I want to direct my company in a left-wing social direction, the people at the top of the company are like, oh God, we can't fire this person anymore. Now we're stuck. If we fire this person, they're going to claim discrimination. Again, the people at the top of the company have been bullied into silence by the ridiculous kind of legal architecture that's been set up around HR at our major companies. And the people at the bottom don't care. They just want to go and do their jobs. The people in middle management are, in fact, directing the boat at a lot of these major corporations in terms of the wokeness. If you're a middle manager, you're one of two types. This is why you're a middle manager. If you're truly creative and entrepreneurial, you wouldn't be a middle manager. You'd be at the top of the company. The people at the top of the company are generally tasked with creating profitability for the company creating efficiencies for the company, taking advantage of new market innovations. But if you're in middle management, you basically have been given one of two roles. One is to protect your own job. Going woke protects your own job because once you go woke, nobody can fire you. And two, protect against downside liabilities for the company. You know, it's that forever um, thing that goes through my head. They're so, they need to be protected. They have no power. I mean, they can just take out the number one author in the world and ruin her and businesses and everything. I mean, this is point, a point of a percentage of fucking our population literally fucking spends their time destroying other people. I mean, just destroying them. And, and I, I, I know I cover it a lot, but the, the, it, it's, it's really important now. I mean... With Biden in office, this is policy. It, it's not. It's not there's some fringe shit anymore. I mean, we're making policy policy from people that, let's be honest, they have mental illnesses. This whole turf, trans ninety nine pronouns and a bitch ain't one. Uh, everything we've covered literally was a joke back in 2016. It's policy now. And I'm living proof you can lose your platform for just saying 
trans is a mental illness. Granted, my, my tweet was, it is, it is a mental illness, and without treatment, they're unhappy people. There's actually statistics with or without. They still are suicidal. They have suicidal ideation. And the worst part, it is the new religion. This is a religion for the left. Our media, the Democratic Party, is so focused on this shit that you can't point out more important things. And then people come forward and their lives are fucking ruined. This is a lesbian woman married to a trans man, which means she's a woman. Priyat. There are more than 100 pediatric gender clinics across the U.S. I worked at one. What happened to children is morally and medically appalling. For almost four years, I worked at the Washington University School of Medicine Division of Infectious Diseases with teens and young adults who are HIV positive. Through childhood and adolescence, I did a lot of gender questioning myself. I'm now married to a trans man, and together we are raising my two biological children when I wasn't lesbian. The Washington University Transgender Center of St. Louis Children's Hospital, which had been established a year earlier. Their centered work assumption was that early you treat kids with gender dysphoria. Here's a trans person, a trans ally. The more anguish you can prevent later on. This premise was shared by centers, doctors, and therapists. During the four years I worked at the clinic as a case manager, I was responsible for patients' intake and outside, oversight. Around 1,000 distressed young people came through our doors. The majority of them received hormone prescriptions that can have life-altering consequences. I left the clinic in November last year because I could no longer participate what was happening there. By the time I departed, I was certain that the way the American medical system is treating these patients is the opposite of promise we make to do no harm. Almost everyone in my life advised me to keep my head down and shut the fuck up. The floodgates opened. Soon after my arrival, I was struck by the lack of formal protocols. At first, the patient population was tipped towards and used to be traditional instance of a child with gender dysphoria, a boy. Then it all became girls by 2015. I certainly saw a center. One of my jobs is to do intake. When I started, there was probably 10 such calls a month. When I left, there were 50. 70% were girls. The girls came to us, many comorbidities, depression, anxiety, ADHD, eating disorders, obesity. Many were diagnosed with autism. A report last year on British Pediatric Transgender Center found that about one-third of the patients referred there were on autism spectrum. Frequently, our parents declared they had a disorder that no one believed they did. The doctor probably recognized these false self-diagnoses as a manifestation of a social contagion, which is what we've been saying on the show, conservatives have been saying, the fruit say it. Side effect. Many accounts patients emphasize, in this, it basically just says that you just had to go see a therapist twice, and then they start doing medical procedures. Two, two therapists. Two. You know, in the military... It takes like a hundred before you even get PTSD diagnosed and get money from the VA. But those are just vets. They're just people that got bombed, shot at, got their legs blown off. They're not that important. There are no reliable studies showing that indeed the experience of many of the center's patients prove how false the surgeons are. Here's the example. A colleague emailed me about a 15-year-old male patient. Oh, dear, I'm concerned this patient does not understand the bacamite does. Now, this is a prostate 
It's a medication used to treat metastatic prostate cancer. And one of its side effects is that it feminizes the body in men who take it, including the appearance of breasts. The center prescribes this cancer drug as a puberty blocker to feminize boys. As with most cancer drugs, bacamide has a long list of side effects, and this patient experienced one of them, liver toxicity. He was sent to another unit of the hospital for evaluation and immediately taken off the drug. Afterward, this mother sent an electronic message to the transgender saying, saying that we were lucky her family was not the type to sue. And it goes on and on and on. This, it was in my inbox. I kind of read it over. I listened to the Ben Shapiro segment on it. The Free Press, Barry Weiss, it's insane. It's just fucking insane that that is allowed. That's what we're doing to kids. And the medical professions know it's wrong, but they can't say anything because if you do, you'll be canceled for a week off Twitter. I'm not bitter. I got eight hours and it's over. I'm probably never tweeting again. I, it was easier just reading shit. It's better for the show anyway. All right, to a short media bias section for This Is America. John Fetterman has been in the hospital for two days. There is no diagnosis of why he's in the hospital. The thought is seizures. The media is not looking into it or take, look, they would do it if it was a conservative. They'd be like, oh, we got to get this guy out. And I want you to remember the ride of this Igor being pushed by the media because they just didn't want Oz to win. As he recovers from a stroke, the Democratic state nominee in Pennsylvania is running a vi- virtual campaign, online memes, and withering the mockery of his opponent. They supported this guy, even though everybody said he's not well. He's still not well. That's why I'm covering the wife. Because you watch. They'll just put her in. The media is very upset. Will Carlisle, who probably turned me in, so I'll never tweet at him again. Why do you think the AI got clubbed? This is from the New York Times. Disinformation researchers raise alarm about chat AI. Researchers using chat GBT to produce clean, convincing texts that repeatedly conspiracy theories and misleading narratives which are things we don't want people to do. Then, as you knew, and remember, if you go back two years, and Matt's probably only, you know, there's like 20 of you that listen to every show. We played a soundbite of a lady that ran YouTube talking about how Ben Shapiro was a gateway drug that would get you into the alt-right and white supremacy. And we didn't use white Christian nationalness, but that's they use it now. And they were worried about podcasts. So this lady, Valerie Wurschaffer, out today in my new report from Brookings Institute, a liberal think tank, sheds light on the opaque medium of podcasting, where in the words of one prominent host, you can say whatever you want. This report represents a first system, uh, s- systematic overarching assessment of more than 36,000 shows from across the political spectrum. Let me um, play this media she had. Hold one. 
fuck the humanity. This is the actual article. Um, the audible reckoning. So in here, she plays that little video there that shows this report represents the first systemic systematic overreaching assessment of over 36,000 shows from across political spectrum. Um, center this this is just so important because i'll get to my point in a second drawing on thousands of external fact checks and a dictionary of key terms the research evaluated that one out of every 20 episodes and 70 percent of all shows have shared at least one unsubstantiated or false claim with some share shows sharing far more others oh that's terrible Due to the extremely conservative nature of the research design, this is likely an undercount of unsubstantiated and false claims across the media spectrum. The report also includes detailed case studies of the 2020 presidential election building on past research, and I'm not going to play it. It's another one of her little pie graphs, thinking she's really hot diggity dog. The best one is this. This is fucking good. Um, uh, and COVID-19, where claims tied to alternative treatments and prevention were far more common than all other types of claims. And key moments seem to drive the spread of unsubstantiated and false claims like, oh, the vaccines work. You don't need to wear a mask because we're doing the noble lie. You need to wear a mask. But although by the way, the masks don't work, it doesn't matter unless you're wearing an N95. Kids don't need to wear a mask. Kids are not going to get sick. It's all bullshit, but we want to keep uh, take care of our uh, unions. Yeah, I remember that. That was that was good shit. The research was conducted over nearly two year period and inspired by passing tweet conversation. I'm happy to answer any and all questions. Um, has anyone and analyze misinformation in podcast? Ooh, that was a, her and Seltzer were talking. Thank you to the Brookings Institute for giving this research agenda a home. And thank you to Stuart Thompson for adding so much to this research with this article today, The Guardian. Also, for those interested where the title comes from, it's a play on the first known coining of the term podcast, a Guardian article titled Audible Revolution. Tell me you don't understand correlation versus causation without saying, I don't understand correlation causation. This is a Neil Orr responding. The more that the government illegally conspired to spread their lies about COVID, the more people tried to push the truth out. Another one, where is your sense of humor? In February 2021, Texas Senator Ted Cruz and his co-host Michael Knowles, Daily Wire, commentator recorded a live episode of the verdict with ted crew podcast and conversation about his former senate race opponent beto o'rourke the texas republican described the rival support base as primarily reporters who act like groupies at a rolling stone concert throwing their underwear offhandedly he added if they wore underwear yes with a smirk he leaned into the microphone and asked Knowles, too edgy Knowles replied it's a podcast you can say whatever you want Another, the horrific thought of people being able to say whatever they want. Break out the smelling salts. Ha ha, you're not off to a good start here. See below. And in this tweet thread from this guy, I'm honored that you quote me in your, Michael knows, piece accusing conservative podcasters of carelessly spreading false info. Can't help but notice, though, that in your piece, you carelessly spread false info. Just one example. Your stats on number of episodes produced are completely wrong, and he corrects them. Episode 11A, 80. 
episode 1109, episode 116. Free speech is a nightmare for you, isn't it? I can rec- recommend some countries that don't allow it if you like. One-way ticket, please. I'd love to see the deep dive on Don Lemon's unsubstantiated claims. But this is why you have Truth Social that you can't control now because you tried to control um, that other one, Parler. That's why Rumble is huge. And they let you put whatever the fuck you want. That's what this country is based on. It's who we are. And the misinformation, nine times out of ten, is alternate facts that are the actual facts that you people are lying. Like Biden didn't lie once. That Biden's saying all conservatives want to sunset Social Security when he said it himself in 95. How about the, the balloon? They weren't even going to tell us until the Billings fucking register found it or whatever the paper was. How about these, this is America, sound bites, where Carville calls conservative women white trash and Lemon argues with the black guy like it's just bad that you would not support Biden because you're black. Get in line, Uncle Tom. This is America. Exactly what the president's up against. Was that a bad moment for Republicans? Well, uh, you know, I told people I have a clue a PhD in white trashology. And you saw real white trash on display. Hmm. And let me say something about Congressman Marjorie Taylor Greene. She dresses like white trash. She really needs a fashion consultant. Can I recommend George Santos? He, he could do a good job of, of dressing up where she doesn't announce her white trash them by her, her own well, clothes. Well, I'll tell you, James. Before the president came into office, your average intake was about 400,000, maybe 500,000 if you had a surge year. Since he's been president, 1.6 million entrants um, in 2021, 2.2 million entrants in 2022, and rising. All they're trying to do is shift the burden. That's all they're doing. The, the Homeland Security is saying, is saying that your numbers don't match up. So that, let's, let's move on because I want to ask you, isn't that the point of a plan is to debate you saying that we want to see the we want to see the plan the president put out a plan wouldn't a better response be well we don't agree with this but we'd like to take this framework and work on it and try to make it better rather than just saying it's not great this isn't going to work i want to see it he's actually put something out and laid something out there for people to work with this is a better idea to try to do it well two things number one we were in oversight yesterday discussing this in particular i know homeland security's numbers trust me my numbers add up I did the math yesterday in committee. We actually talked with border chiefs about it specifically yesterday. Number two, the president's immigration policies, when he changed border protocols, when he came into office, January 20, 2021, these are his executive orders. They have led to the massive shifts, the massive raises, and people crossing the border illegally. One of his own question. Wouldn't it be better to try to work with the president instead of criticizing the plan, saying that it's not going to work, or that something in the past has not worked? We would love to. But you actually have to secure the border. You have to take care of the issues. Like I said, isn't that what he's saying that he's trying to do? And you're, but you're criticizing something that's happened, that happened in the past. What he's saying 
is that I want to move forward and try to work with people. And you're saying, but, 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 and you're looking backwards instead of forward, like the people who heckled him and said, and he goes, wait, wait, I'm getting there. And then the next sentence out of his mouth is, we want to work on border security and try to work on these things, but you're looking backwards. Don, you have to look back at the policy changes. How can you ignore four and a half million people coming through the southern border and say, don't look back the last two years, let's just look forward. You, you have to have policy changes. change the policies. You can, you can say you that have you to have, have to have policy changes. Okay, fine. You got to have policy changes. Saying, Congressman? No, he's reallocating the situation. He's not changed the overall protocols. He's just reallocating them. That's the point that we're making. If you go back to Remain in Mexico, which did work, if you actually go back to making sure you adjudicate asylum before somebody comes to the border, if you say to border agents, which was the policy under President Trump, President Obama, President Clinton, and President Bush, that they can make, Listen, they can make determinations. I, I don't want to keep, I don't, I don't want to keep arguing with you, and I want my colleague it. to get in. But again, is there an answer that says, instead of we don't want to look back, is there an answer that says, moving forward, here's what we can do? Moving forward, you have to give border agents the proper okay. tools in order to actually secure the border. The president has taken that from them. That's what he did. Okay, so in, in the future, you would like to see the president do what with border agents? I just told you. The, you have to give them okay, the ability well, to make, make determinations of credible fear. That's you have to reinstate uh, this Remain in Mexico policy. Okay. You have to not give massive asylum proceedings, which, by the way, are taking six years to get through, and people go to the first hearing. So you're saying you're willing to work with the president on these policies to change them moving forward? The president... There's nothing wrong with CNN's misinformation or Brian Seltzer's misinformation or a guy who's saying that a, a white conservative woman's white trash. That, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. You people are garbage. You're just, you're just garbage. Misinformation and disinformation is no longer misinformation and disinformation. The jig is up. We all got it. You just want everybody to shut the fuck up and say what you want. That transgender is that men with dicks are real, real men, real, real women. And that we must embrace everything that was on the fucking Grammys and Satanism. And we all need to vote Democrat and we need to give reparations and all the other crazy shit. It's just hilarious. The more you push, the more you people push, they'll be more misinformation because people will find places that you can't censor them. And that's the jig with Twitter. More and more, the more they try to push from the inside to continue as game normal, the more people are just going to leave. And then you won't have Twitter. And what would you people do without Twitter? I mean, I made it a week. I don't give a fuck. I mean, I tweet. I bitch about it because there's a bullshit reason to get fucking suspended. But my life didn't fall apart. You people need Twitter. It's what you are. You live on Twitter. You you do your job on Twitter. I mean, our media only reports what's on Twitter. So we're going to do a quick little hit on the striker and a couple closing comments because Millie is still trending. Can carry one. The Stryker family of vehicles is built on a common chassis, with some variants having different mission equipment packages. There are 18 variants, 10 flat bottom variants that include the M1126, M1127, 
M1128, M1129, M1130, M1131, M1132, M1133, M1134, and M1135. Seven double V-hull variants for the following infantry carrier vehicle, mortar carrier, commander's vehicle, medical evacuation vehicle, anti-tank guided missile, fire support vehicle, and engineer squad vehicle. And an additional configuration of a modified infantry combat vehicle platform integrating a 30mm cannon. M1126 Infantry Carrier Vehicle the basic armored personnel carrier version, which provides protected transport for two crew and a nine-man infantry squad, and can support dismounted infantry. It weighs 19 tons, communications include text and a map network between vehicles. Models with the double V-hull upgrade are known as the M1256. The M1126 Striker has a protector remote weapon station with a universal soft mount cradle, which can mount either a 50 caliber M2 Browning machine gun a 40mm Mark 19 grenade launcher, or a 7.62x51mm NATO M240 machine gun. It's also armed with four M6 smoke grenade launchers. M1127 Reconnaissance Vehicle The M1127 Reconnaissance Vehicle is a wheeled armored personnel carrier in the Stryker family. It's in service with the U.S. Army. A version used by reconnaissance, surveillance, and target acquisition squadrons and battalion scouts moving throughout the battlefield to gather and transmit real-time intelligence surveillance for situational awareness. The M1127's purpose is to anticipate and avert threats, improve the brigade's decisiveness and freedom of maneuver. M1128 Mobile Gun System the eight-wheeled striker configuration carries a General Dynamics 105mm tank cannon and a low-profile, fully stabilized shoot-on-the-move turret. The main gun provides direct fire in support of infantry, engaging stationary and mobile enemy targets such as bunkers to create a combined arms effect of overmatched firepower that improves the survivability of the combat team. The eight-wheeled striker can fire 18 rounds of 105mm main gun ammunition, 400 rounds of 50 caliber ammunition, and also equipped with M6 smoke grenade launchers. It operates with the latest command, control, communications, computers intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance, C4ISR equipment, as well as detectors for nuclear, biological, and chemical weapons. The mobile gun system vehicle is a strengthened variant of the Light Armored Vehicle 3 compared to the standard variant other striker vehicles are based on, but retains commonality across all vehicles in the family. The M1128 Striker was retired at the end of 2022, due in part to the expense and difficulty of maintaining and upgrading the autoloader. M1129 Mortar Carrier The M1129 Mortar Carrier is an 8x8-wheeled armored mortar carrier of the Striker family of combat vehicles. It's in use with the United States Army. Models with the double V-hull upgrade are known as the M1252. The M1129 is fitted with an M121 120mm mortar. It fires a full range of ammunition, including high-explosive, precision-guided, dual-purpose, smoke, illumination, and infrared illumination shells. It's a pretty badass rig. I'm not a big fan of it because I don't think wheeled is the way to go, but, you know, what do I know? It's easier and it fits on things. So this is one of those mean tweets, but I thought it was pretty funny. 
So someone explain to me how a man who never served in combat and never won a war has this many medals on his uniform. Well, clearly he did serve in combat. He has a CIB. But I will tell you, I don't know why he has that many fucking goddamn ribbons. And then an article broke which just freaked me the fuck up. This is from Newsweek. I served in the U.S. Army Abrams tank. Giving Ukraine is risky. And from the article, the risk of providing Abram tanks to Ukraine. When we would analyze Russian designs, equipment, and tactics during my time at Fort Irwin National Training Center in California, the temptation even back then was to dismiss the Army as Potonkin Village. But we always had a word of warning with our jokes, a quote that was attributed possibly incorrectly to Winston Churchill. Russia is never as strong as she wants to appear, but never as weak as she looks. No matter how well the Ukrainian tankers have trained, their experience on an Abrams series will essentially be zero. There may be some old American tankers in Ukrainian Foreign Legion, but that number is likely small. Yet providing the necessary training and building a cadre of experience in the work of years, not weeks. Regardless, any semi-competent Ukrainian tanker used to serving in cramped confines of a Soviet T-72 and T-80 they will have will find their capability improved even with some quick training on the Abrams. The ability to shoot, move, and communicate are core to any successful tank crew. Doing it with better equipment will help, but the experience to fix the small problems that crop up will be crucially missing. Ukrainians will need to be able to answer questions such as, are the turret hydraulics broken or did something accidentally turn the tiny hydraulic release valve? How many spare block, track blocks and road wheels are there? Are the boresight procedures completed correctly? Is there anything available for mechanics to pull an almost 70-ton tank out of a mud hole? Pulling a 45-ton T-80 out of a hole is going to seem like child's play in comparison. And then it goes on to talk about what I have been talking about. This is our top-notch shit. Why are we giving it to them? 31 tanks that I know there's espionage and they have a lot of our stuff. But, dude, I don't think, I just don't think it's a smart idea. I just think it's a bad idea. And then we have an interesting study that was done, and I don't know where I got this. Um, I think it was in my inbox. It was a service numbers and per capita distribution of troops serving in the post-9-11 wars in 2019 by state. And you go down and look, and as always... The black is 30 or 50% higher. 30, uh, 10 to 20 is a dark red. And then the pink is lower, 30 to 80% lower, lower. And you go across here, and I was shocked about the Midwest up here or the Great Lakes region. But New York, California only had 10,000 people per capita. Tennessee's got 1897. Florida, Georgia, and South Carolina. Look at the amount of people that serve. The top 10 were South Carolina, Hawaii, Alaska, Florida, Georgia, Colorado, Alabama, Texas, North Carolina, Nevada. And the, and the low numbers 
No, that was in relation to population. In raw, California, Texas, Florida, New York, Georgia, North Carolina, Ohio, Illinois, Pennsylvania, and Tennessee. It kind of proved the theory we, we always have in the military that it's the same people bleeding, dying, and sacrificing for this country, and it always has been. And the same people that dog the military are people like Page in Oregon oh so long ago who had never met a person that served in the military and was anti-war. I mean, that's just our country in a nutshell. That's why every time a Democrat's president, I literally know the military will be the lowest priority. And even though Biden spends every day talking about his son died in Iraq, which he didn't, he gives no fucks about the military, even... Obama didn't care. So that wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Share with the family and friends. Go to SoundCloud, follow Flyover Politic with a K. Rumble, 482-467. Going to post this one. And go to foppodcast at gmail.com. Send me an email. Tell me go fuck myself. <coughs> but more importantly, tell me if there's anything you want to see on the show. I'm once again hoping that by the next show, which will probably be uh, Monday or Tuesday, we're going to have the new mic. It's just stuck in New Jersey. We sent a thing, and if it doesn't come in, we're going to buy it and just spend the extra money because uh, we bought it cheapest through Walmart, but it wasn't Walmart. It was one of the distributors, and it just has never left New Jersey. It's just sitting there, which really, really sucks, but I'm hoping I can do it because it takes me 15 minutes to get this dialed in every time because something's wrong with it, and uh, the new one has digital and digital be better. So, hope y'all have a good next couple days and a weekend. I went junking yesterday. Got a 1960 Valiant radio that works. It is just beautiful. If you follow me on Instagram, just search for Tony Reed. You'll see it. <clears throat> and then this weekend, going to go head out to the lake and do a picnic as I recover. Uh, soft and on, post-food, pre-food. That's it now. But still sleeping in a bed, so it's a good time. As always, thanks for listening, and y'all take care. Oh.